The Comics Course is an offering of the lectures from Miskatonic University's Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History, offered as a publicly available podcast. We pick back up on the lecture in progress. Since last week's lecture ran so long, and we are splitting it into two episodes. All right, it's starting to thunder here at Miskatonic, but that might make good background noise here. So, we continue into The Kindly Ones, number eight. Morpheus walks through his halls, he attends to business. He even goes to a park in Central Europe to feed the pigeons until somebody yells at him that there's a sign that says, Don't Feed the Pigeons. He goes to a performance of A Midsummer Night's Dream and is disappointed by the translation. Both of these callbacks, Midsummer Night's Dream, of course, being a callback to the fact that he actually commissioned the writing of that play by William Shakespeare. Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare, if you're pronouncing it more in that period English. And, of course, the feeding of the birds that he did with death, which he still seems to enjoy doing. And then he gets a visit from Delirium, who wants help looking for the dog. And he kind of sends her away with somebody to try to help her out. Meanwhile, Rose is kind of having a connection with the younger nephew here from the law firm. And they end up playing the slapping game in her hotel room, uh, which she initiates. And then he's like, oh, look at the time. I got to run. And, of course, she finds out later he's married. Of course. Which she didn't ask, but he didn't volunteer either. I think it's a fair assumption that when you start flirting with someone and they reciprocate that they're not married. Yeah, it's, it's, she probably should have asked, though. But I think the greater responsibility is on him. I agree with that. He is the one who had the vows. That's fair. So meanwhile, they're going to, uh, Matthew, they, being Matthew and Corinthian, go to check out the corpse of Carla. And it turns out the Corinthian can cut out her eyes and use them to see how she died. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. And then we switch back to the dreaming, where the three ladies, who are now all embodied in Lyda, show up. And they, you know, of course, there were three guardians of Morpheus's castle, the dragon, the hippogriff, and the pegasus. And they are angry and destroy the griffin, murder him. And the wyvern, or dragon, uh, is not happy about it. But rather than have one of the others destroyed, Morpheus lets them in. And he is unhappy. He says, you hurt my gate, my gatekeeper. We destroyed your gatekeeper. In a manner of speaking, perhaps, I can create another. Why are you here? For now, simply to offer some advice. We will destroy your dream world, Morpheus. We will destroy everything you have ever loved, anything you have ever cared for. And in the end, we shall destroy you. So they end up leaving. For now. It's not yet time to confront him and destroy him, even in the heart of the Dreaming, which would create a huge battle that could tear apart the Dreaming, because they're going to destroy other things. Mm-hmm. 
So Morpheus is like, all right, speed dial through the magic orb. Corinthian, Matthew, where the fuck's the kid? Mm-hmm. Now you have to ask yourself, why is looking for the kid so important right now? Yeah. Well, you might interpret it as saying, well, he shows Lyda that the kid's alive, she stops this, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. That is a logical thought. And now all of this has happened in one day, Saturday. And we see what's happening with some people. Nuala is distraught in the realm of fairy. Thessaly is sitting around eating, watching over Lyda while she's comatose. Lucifer is playing his music and doesn't feel... He obviously feels off. All of these people have something sinking feeling. Mm. And in the end, we end up with that old fellow, mm-hmm. Alex's boyfriend, who's been watching over him, and takes her to go see Fawny Rig, the oh. house that Morpheus was imprisoned in. But he's bringing her just to see this cool old house with a cool old library. Yeah. And where he grows roses. Ah. And everything's coming full circle. Uh-huh. I didn't think we were going to see this house again. There's even, she picks up a book, and it's a book by Yates called The Paths of Gold, signed to Roderick Burgess. Oh. She even borrows a book by one of the characters that was in Calliope. An old book. And she ends up going down into the hidden dungeon where Morpheus was imprisoned, where she meets her great... her grandfather, kind of. Desire. Oh. He's down here. He, she, they... They didn't specify pronouns back now. Back then. Um... Plus, it doesn't really matter for a being that doesn't have a gender. Right. And, but they're, but they are represented a bit more feminine, and I see in other places the family has used female pronouns. Mm-hmm. So I use female pronouns okay, yeah. for it, which I think is fair. Yeah. So Desire is there. And Desire says, I fathered your mother. Mm. Not my blood, but my spirit. Interesting. And Desire is, of course, smoking, as she always does. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, uh, Rose says, I hate love. And Desire says, I think I preferred you, granddaughter, when you were stoically complaining about not feeling anything. Now, it is interesting that, of course, Rose just fell in love and fell out of it. Yeah. And as she awake now notice the shape of the lighter desire is using. It's shaped like a heart. Mm. It's a flip open. And when the old man comes down, Rose has been asleep, and he finds on the floor an art deco heart-shaped lighter. And what did Rose say? My grandmother said she had something to give back to me. Oh. And remember, at the end of 
that uh, of uh, Game of You, Rose pulls out her heart and gives it to her grandmother, which enables her mother, grandmother, to be the anomaly again, and who Morpheus must kill, instead of it being Rose now. And the grandmother was not of Morpheus's bloodline. But if she has died and moved on, then where has the heart come from? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some interesting questions here. And why did Desire do it? This is one of the big unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. So, while all this is happening... Finally, the Corinthian and Matthew have ended up in, and I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation of this, but Swarthelfheim. This is one of the nine realms of Norse mythology where a cer certain races live. Mm -hmm. And they go in there, and Matthew finds himself being pulled back to the dreaming. It's happened another time before. And he fights it. And they come in and find Morpheus. Mm-hmm. Who tells them everything is under control, just leave. But the Corinthian isn't buying it. And chokes him until he reveals himself to be Loki. Mm. And he ties up Loki and basically intends to do bad things to him. And he goes, and you know, the Corinthian has a thing for eyes. Mm -hmm. And we know he can see through the eyes. Mm. And he says... Oh, he'll help us whether he wants to or not. I told him the truth. I would not kill him. A death curse of a god is an evil thing. But I can hurt him, and I will. And besides, have you never wondered, little bird, what it must be like to see the world through the eyes of a god? <laughs> the Corinthian, the way he... he... They're written. It's so creepy for me. I know. It's great. I love it. Meanwhile, we now get to see in this weird paneled view with these curvy wide panels, the Furies. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to decide what are they going to destroy that will mean be meaningful to Morpheus. And they start looking at first Cain. And they go, no, it is old and well guarded. And there's more there than it appears. Meaning, Cain would be dangerous even for them to destroy. Because he has the mark of the creator. And then there, her, and they go to see Eve in her cave. And they say, not her. She is in herself an aspect of ourselves. Mm. And then they show to Fiddler's Green. And yes, oh, here. Oh no! The death of Gilbert in Fiddler's oh, Green. No. I know. And they start by destroying the animals until Gilbert himself appears and they murder him. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I mean, he's maybe the most likable character in the entire series. He's the only one who's done nothing wrong. He's the only pure character. <gasps> I know. That's heartbreaking. Wow, they really hit us where it hurts. And you find out the reason Matthew keeps being pulled back to the dreaming is because a whole giant murder of crows is now crossing the dreaming to eat from the dead 
that the Furies are leaving behind. Mm. This sort of spiritual thing of crows. And all crows are being pulled to it. Even Odin's crows. And meanwhile, Thessaly is having a dream, and Morpheus shows up. And she says, you look terrible. <laughs> and they begin having a discussion about this magic circle. She's mad at him for how their relationship ended, and he's kind of like, you're the one that left me! Yeah, yeah. And he says, I could kill her without having to interact with the circle. And she says, but you're not allowed to do that. Your rules say you have to use your own hands. And he's like, well, that's true. So he leaves and then blows out all of her windows as he leaves, just to be petulant. Mm -hmm. And she says, how childish, men. It's like, well, you're enabling somebody that's going to tear apart his realm and kill his friends. Yeah, that's a you uh, thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, things are happening with the ravens. Uh, Matthew refuses to eat from the corpse of Gilbert, but the other ravens are going at it. And we see that the Corinthian has found the silver cord and pulled Daniel to him. So maybe this can all be abated. He snaps the silver cord. Now, why is that important? If there is still a mortal body for Daniel somewhere, he can't return to it now. Mm. But maybe it's a non-issue because the body's gone anyway. Purified into spirit. So there are some interesting questions here. Now, Puck is here. And Ooh. Puck talks to them and then buggers off. Odin finds the body of Loki and drags him back to tie him up underneath the earth to where the poison will drip on him again. All stuff from Norse folklore. We see the Fury show up and kill Abel, which isn't terribly surprising. We see parties happening in the realm of Fairy, and a couple of minor plot lines there involving Puck and Clericonon, but... I'm not going to go over those right now. But we see the other allies of Morpheus's, his servants, like uh, the Pumpkin Fellow, get just destroyed by the Furies. So they're murdering the dreams and nightmares of the Dreaming. And we see Nuala run into Delirium in the woods. And... Delirium can't track what's going on, but she knows that something bad is going on. And Nuala realizes that in the dreaming, things are going bad for Morpheus. Maybe if she pulled him out, he could go on the run from the Furies. So she makes a decision to use her gift, her boon from Morpheus, to summon him. And even though he could ignore it, he is a creature of rules, so he follows it, and he goes to her. But what she doesn't understand is that his remaining in the dreaming, mm -hmm. the reason he couldn't go look for Daniel himself was 
he could still prevent the worst damage the Furies could do while he was there. Oh. And now he's been summoned out of it. Oh, no. That's not good. I mean, yes, dreams are dying, but it's within his ability to say, bring Gilbert back mm -hmm. with no memories lost. But not if he's not there. This, oh. <laughs> so now things are falling apart. Yeah. The castle's being destroyed. The Furies are running rampant. And it's basically the Corinthian, Abel, and Daniel. No. Until they get into the castle and find Lucian there. And the Corinthian is not happy with Matthew. And has threatened to kill him next time he sees him. Jesus Christ. Because he kept getting pulled away. Yeah. And basically Morpheus has a discussion with Nuala where he says, Yeah, you may have helped completely hose me here. And Nuala's distraught because she was trying to save him. I'm simplifying it, but we don't need all the details at she this point. She meant well, he's kind of mad. Right. And... You know, it's this twist. And there's a lot of scenes here that I'm skipping that are amusing or funny in different ways. Rose's dealing with this ignorant, ugly American on the plane. Her going to the hospital and finding that Zelda has now passed away. And the woman at reception saying, Don't forget, we take MasterCard and Visa. Mm -hmm. It's like, her friend just died. Try having a bit of fucking, you know, empathy. That's asking a lot from these types of people. Yep. And there's some commentary about the nature of people thrown in here. Now, Rose has not had groceries to deliver to Zelda, so she's carrying them with her. And do you remember the old man who was giving flowers to uh, Daniel and Lyda freaked out? Mm -hmm. Well, that's who she gives the groceries to. Aww. Now, look who's with him. Barnabas! The Barnabas, who Delirium is looking for, is with the old crazy guy. Let's go. And, of course, Barnabas wants the chocolates. He deserves the chocolates. They're not good for dogs, though. But he's a special dog. Well, that is true. Meanwhile, uh, Lucian, the Corinthian, Daniel, Goldie, and Abel are kind of holed up in Morpheus's throne room as the last bastion for trying to protect themselves. However, things have escaped while Morpheus has been gone. The Furies have let all the nasty stuff out of the dungeon, mm -hmm. which is not good. And look what Daniel has started to play with. Oh, no. Do you remember that? No, but I don't think it's good. A clear sphere, like the one Harun al-Rashad used that contained 666 greater demons that he was going to shatter to summon Morpheus. <laughs> Gently take it from the kiddo. To quote the Corinthian here, maybe we should find him something else to play with. <laughs> Please. Do you have any regular kid toys there? Yep. Meanwhile, Destiny is freaked out because there are multiple Destinies in the garden. And That's he's weird. reading from the book of him talking to himself. Ah. As he talks to himself. 
And meanwhile, Morpheus is trying to book it back from the border of fairy to the dreaming and move as quick as he can. And he comes into the throne room and Cain is being an ass and Morpheus says, not now, and gets testy with Abel because Abel is very insistent that Cain be returned to life now. And Morpheus instead gets on his knees to talk to Daniel. And the Furies show up. And they attack him and make him bleed. And he's upset. And then suddenly Lyda, as the spirit of the Furies, sees Daniel and realizes that he's there. But the Furies say to her, partially, yes, he is no longer alive. That's concerning. So I think the meaning is that that fire did actually destroy his physical body. Mm-hmm. He is now the spirit of Daniel. Ah. He is now an entity of spirit. He has been purified in the flames, the phoenix flames, and reborn. Mm-hmm. He is now basically a dream, I think. And even though Lyda doesn't want to continue with this because her son is now alive, the Furies reject and say, we don't rescue, we revenge. Hmm. Meanwhile, we see Duma and Remiel and Hell. Mm-hmm. And they're like, maybe we should have asked Lucifer about what's happening in the dreaming. That would oh, have well. been a good idea. Larissa, meanwhile, Thessaly, wakes up and finds herself missing the Dream King, missing his skin. His absence hurts. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's having regrets about helping this happen. And you do have to wonder, did Desire play with her and stoke her emotions? Maybe. Did Desire not just create the underlying situation, but helping this happen now? I can see that. Desire has never really been his biggest fan. Well, they've fought horribly. Mm -hmm. And then Morpheus says that he's going to do what he has to do. And he puts on his raiment. His helm, his gloves, his pouch. uh, And he picks up an emerald. Remember, he had a large ruby gemstone that John Dee, a.k.a. Dr. Destiny, had manipulated and fought the Justice League with. Now he has this green one. Now, remember, there was also a sapphire at the scary in A Game of You. And he says that long ago, he created a a bunch of gemstones that he incorporated his power into. Mm -hmm. The greatest, and he says, I, I will just read what he says. I was contemplating this emerald. It was one of the 12 dream stones I created long, long ago. The greatest of them, the one into which I put the most of myself, was the ruby. There were others, a rose quartz. I gave poor Aleonor a fire opal. Sorry, it was a fire opal, not a sapphire. Mm. A black pearl, a topaz. Some of them are scattered, some have been destroyed. This was the least of them. It was an eagle stone that I created for the great birds, and they used it for a time, and then they returned it to me. Facets, Matthew. Each facet catches the light in its own way. It glints and sparkles and flashes uniquely. It would almost be possible to believe that the facet was the jewel, 
not just a tiny part of it, but then as we move, the jewel, another facet, catches the light. So Matthew asks, but what's the point? To which Morpheus replies, and this is important, my point. I have no point, Matthew, save for the jewel with the facets and the light. We see an aspect of the whole, but the facet is not the jewel. And then he gives the jewel to Daniel. And then Morpheus leaves to fight the three sisters, the fates, the furies, the kindly ones. And then we see, instead of the battle, we see Delirium going to Lux. Because who doesn't want to write a scene between the embodiment of Delirium and Lucifer at some point? This needed to happen. I did, and I don't blame Gaiman for this at all. So, Mazakin doesn't want to let her through, and Delirium is basically like, kiddo, I can pimp-slap your ass to infinity and back. Not your boss, but you I can. Mm. <laughs> yep. I mean, she says it a little more weirdly involving commentary about, you know, bugs and stuff, but... Because she's Delirium. Right. And we're jumping back and forth, and we see, in the midst of this big maelstrom, Morpheus... And then we jump to, we named a character earlier, Vixen La Bitch. Oh, I forgot that. She's on a talk show. Oh, right. Oh, Mary, don't get me started. The problem I see with lesbians is self-image. At least gay men had Rock Hudson and Oscar Wilde. The best lesbians could muster was Miss Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. And they're talking to her about being controversial. It was a 1960s sitcom. Mm. And we see, waiting for Vixen LaBitch, Rose Walker in her changing room. Oh. Because Vixen LaBitch is Hal. <gasps> the drag queen. How could they? And we don't get details, but we find out that Hal has basically turned very bitter... And they've had some ugly fight and personal breaking of their relationship. So she doesn't get along with her anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And Well, he, because he identifies as male out of drag. Yeah. Uh, and Rose comes to say, Zelda's dead. Will you please come to the funeral? It would just be you and I. And apparently he had a break with all of them in the house. Makes sense. That house was extremely unstable. Right. And we find out he sold it and moved and all this stuff. Uh, and at the end of it, he's changing into a t-shirt and he says, I can't wear black. I'm an autumn. Asshole, Hal. The word you're looking for is asshole, not autumn. Yes. <laughs> Correct. So Morpheus has now landed in the middle of the storm on a tiny, tiny high up piece of stone. This, and he's preparing to face the kindly ones. Mm -hmm. uh, Nuala is distraught. And her brother tries to comfort her a little bit. And Morpheus goes to confront them. Uh, but as this is happening, death has appeared back in his castle. And when the Corinthian threatens her because he's afraid that she's going to threaten Daniel. And this Corinthian 
he he is the correct Corinthian. He is not flawed the way the other should have been. He is the dark mirror for humanity. He's evil, but he also serves what Morpheus intends him to do. So, he's prepared to die fighting to protect Daniel, since Morpheus said to do it. And Death has to say, you need to chill. I'm your master's sister. I'm not here for either of you. Where's my brother? And that's when Lucian has to say, well, he's with the ladies, madam. Mm. And she basically addresses this problem by going to Morpheus. Meanwhile, Morpheus has taken off his pouch of sand and his helm and giving them to Matthew. So why has he been... Why did he take them? Why did he show up? And why is he giving them to Matthew now? Well, death appears with him. And once death appears, she says... What are you doing? And he says, waiting for you. Mm. So I interpreted him taking the pouch and the helm as he was prepared to keep himself alive until his sister got there. Mm -hmm. But once the sister was there, he gave them to Daniel to take away so nothing would happen to them. Mm. And as he sits there, he summons a loaf of bread to feed the pigeons. Of course. So in the middle of this maelstrom, waiting for his death, he's feeding pigeons. I expect nothing less from our boy. And there's some more scenes in the main throne room. Uh, the Corinthian saves Matthew's life. Hmm. And I think some of this conversation between death and Morpheus is important. You are a strange one, my brother. I don't know anyone who can be so completely straightforward and so utterly devious at the same time. <coughs> devious? Mm, wrong word, maybe. But the stuff you do, where you do it, and you won't even admit to yourself it's what you're doing, what would you call it? I'm afraid I do not follow you. Of course you do. I've known you longer than anybody. You've been down much farther than this in the past, and you've come back. They oh. took the dreaming away from you once, and you regained it, remember? The only reason you've got yourself into this mess is because it's where you wanted to be. There's personal responsibility too, you know. Not only the kind you're always talking about. I just want to know why. I did not plan this, my sister. I'd imagined that I would be able to keep events here in check. I intended to play a waiting game in which ultimately no harm was done. Had I remained in the dreaming, the kindly ones would have done no damage to me directly, nor have been capable of doing anything irreparable to the dreaming. No one was hurt I could not have restored, but I was forced to leave the dreaming. Don't you start blaming Nuala for this. You didn't have to leave. You didn't have to do anything. No, you are right, of course. It has nothing to do with Nuala. It has everything to do with me. Since I killed my son, the dreaming has not been the same, or perhaps I was no longer the same. I had my obligations, but even the freedoms of the dreaming can be a cage of a kind, my sister. And she says, why couldn't you just leave like destruction did? 
And he said, no, I could not. And she says, no, you couldn't, could you? I mean, it is his nature. Meanwhile, back in the throne room, Matthew says, what was that rumbling? And Lucian says, that was the roots of the dreaming. It was a quake. And then we see Hippolyta sitting up in her bed, screaming. Meanwhile, Delirium, who was letting a fish lead her around, has lost the fish somehow. And things have gotten ugly. Dream knows that the dreaming is dying, sort of. Mm -hmm. He's dying, the dreaming. The fates attempt to intervene, and death actually pushes them off and tells them to leave her alone while she's talking to her brother. Mm -hmm. And then... She says, dream, give me your hand. Beautiful art here of her. Yeah. Look at that. Stunning. So good. And they touch fingers. And Morpheus is gone. Nuala attempts to leave Fairy. And for a moment, Titania tries to stop. But then something happens. In time with Morpheus' death. And we see Titania crying. And she lets Nuala leave. So Titania still wasn't over Morpheus, obviously. And then... Delirium catches Barnabas. She's walking along the street and Barnabas jumps up on her. And tells her she was late. It's been two weeks. And she said, but I looked all over for you. Where were you looking? Patagonia? Mars? The Emerald City? He's like... I can't go those places without you. I was on the streets. <laughs> so this guy took care of me. And the guy, and she's like, do you want something from me? And the guy's like, I kind of have the sense I'm already of your realm and it wouldn't be a good idea. I'm nuts, but I'm not that nuts. Basically. Fair, fair. A little moment of humor in this, you know, dark storyline. Mm-hmm. We see Lucifer, who's starting to talk about shutting down Lux. Maybe it's time for another change. We see Hal show up for Zelda's funeral with Rose. And indeed, it is just the two of them. And then, guess what? What? Alex Burgess wakes up. With the death of Morpheus, the curse is broken. And he finally awakens after 10 plus years. And Hippolyta wakes up. And Thessaly is not in a good mood. Who are you? How do you know me? I'm called Larissa. And you are a pawn who briefly became a queen. And you've just been taken off the board. Uh, I was drugged or something? I was looking for Daniel? You will never see Daniel again. Here's some tea. I'd take a shower and then start running if I were you. Lots of people are going to want to hurt you or kill you for what you've done. Including me. Damn. Which brings us to the question of... Did Thessaly think this was going to humble Morpheus? But not really believe it would kill him? Even Death says he's dealt with worse than this before. Mm -hmm. And then we zoom in on the heart of the dreaming... 
and the young child Daniel with the stone, which becomes smaller as his hand turns white and lengthens, and then becomes a small amulet for him to wear as the new Morpheus. Mm. So he had to be... So Daniel's the new Morpheus, and that's the purpose of the stone. And that, what do you think of that discussion about you see a facet and you think you see the jewel, but it's really just a facet when you turn it? What do you think that meant now in this context? Honestly, I have no clue. This is all very confusing to me. Well, think about a point of view. Think about the jewel as a metaphor for Morpheus himself. Each personification is a point of view, just like a point of view looking at the stone, a facet mm-hmm. of it. One facet has been turned away and is gone forever now, uh-huh. but the jewel is still there and a new facet is now in place. Is it supposed to represent Daniel? Well, the jewel is the entity of dream. Mm-hmm. Morpheus and Daniel are both facets of that entity. Mm. And so a point of view is now dead. Mm. And it's difficult because as humans, our embodiment as an entity is synonymous with our point of view, our identity. Mm. But that's not true with the endless. Mm. So the entity of dream never stopped existing. But that point of view, that personality is dead. So it was basically representing the death of Morpheus and his new replacement. Right. He has been reborn in Phoenix Fire. Daniel has. And Daniel has inherited the mind, the spirit, the power, the intellect of Morpheus. All those things that Morpheus ever did, Daniel did. He did say he was coming back for Daniel. Yep. But it is a different point of view, a different personality, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Which we will get more into when we do um, the prequel series. I'm excited for that. Now we go back to the Fates, who are sitting around. Now, was that small thing of crafting they did at the very beginning of the Kindly Ones, was that Morpheus, or was it Daniel? When they snapped that line... Was that the same act as Corinthian snapping his silver string? Maybe? On some metaphorical level, yes. I think that that at the beginning of the Kindly Ones, that was Daniel they were talking about, not Morpheus. Because they talked about how small a woven work it was. And his life is over. And what did the fates say? To Lyda, he's not alive. Mm. He had been transformed. Now this brings up the question of who was responsible for all this. And in an immediate sense, not abstract. In an abstract sense, I think it's pretty clear desire was. Mm-hmm. Some people have thrown out Titania. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think her emotion was genuine. Mm-hmm. Some people have said Oberon. I mean, Morpheus cucked Oberon by sleeping with Titania. I don't think he cared enough. Some people have even argued Lucian. Mm -hmm. Because Lucian wanted more stability. Thessaly, of course, has been argued. Loki has been argued. Who do you think 
immediately is responsible for the death of Morpheus. Immediately? Right. Who, and let's rephrase it a little bit. Uh Who hired Puck and Loki to kidnap Daniel? Because that is the immediate thing that kicked off events. Uh, uh, Desire. See, I don't think so. Do you think it was Loki? Those are my two. Those are like the two that I think are most likely. I think Morpheus did. Why would Morpheus want Daniel kidnapped? I think the kidnapping of Daniel and the purification of him in the fire were both part of Morpheus's plan for his replacement. Morpheus was ready to die. He couldn't deal with things anymore. He had changed too much. You're saying he arranged for his own demise? I think he had a plan. I want to go back to what Odin said. Be careful. You may think you're in control, but you're not when you deal with Loki. Mm -hmm. I think Loki, I think he got Loki and Puck to do this, Mm -hmm. but then Loki said, I will not be begrudging to anybody. And then Loki. arranged things with Puck to hide Daniel. Because I think Morpheus's plan was to bring in his replacement, mm-hmm. keep everything ordered and fine, everybody safe, transfer himself to Morpheus and let himself die. His grief was too much. That's why his face was in his hands in the statue in Destiny's Garden. Mm-hmm. He has been too depressed by everything. His old rules that he kept to kept kept emo boy mm-hmm. from basically doing the things and feeling the things that would lead him to self-destruction. And by changing, he self-destructed. Mm-hmm. And I think he meant to do a peaceful transfer, and then Loki decided to fuck with it by hiding Daniel... And then showing the burnt body to Lyda to set her off. Mm-hmm. Now, would Loki have known about the kindly ones and all that? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, he was a god, so there's good reason to believe he would have known. Maybe Desire was involved again and stoked it. But I think Morpheus actually is the one that set Loki and Puck on doing what they were doing but then they veered off track. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it became a problem because the Furies were coming in and wrecking shit. But even then, he could keep it under control so long as he got the kid back in time. I can see that. Which is ultimately what he did. I mean, look what he did. He had the gemstone ready. Daniel was purified and ready to take over as the next Morpheus. Everything was in place until that curveball. Mm-hmm. So there are a few questions here. One, what part did Desire have in that curveball? Mm-hmm. And what was she doing in giving that heart back to Rose Walker? Mm-hmm. I think these are legitimate questions. And was it Unity Kincaid that called her? She said it was her grandmother, but you could argue that Desire is her grandmother also. So who, who killed Morpheus? People have dif- disagreements about this, and I don't expect everybody to agree with my analysis that Morpheus set it up and then Loki threw a curveball. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? I actually think that makes the most sense. I think it does, too. But there are still definitely unanswered questions that I'd love to have answered. Definitely. And I've not looked up to see if any if Gaiman has talked about, you know, desire giving that heart uh, mm-hmm. back, but I'd like to. Mm-hmm. So this wraps up The Kindly Ones. It's a long episode. Uh, maybe we'll split it in two. I don't know. Because we're at like an hour and a half right now. Mm-hmm. But next up after this, Not the Wake. It's mm-hmm. June. We're going to do at least one episode for Pride Month. Let's go. Uh, we may have to sneak it in at the very end, but we'll do it. And then the Wake. Let's go. All right. Class is dismissed. Class is dismissed, but if you need to talk to the professor, listen on. My link tree is at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash prof hamby. That is p-r-o-f-h-a-m-b-y. That has all the places that I post announcements about new episodes, including the huge variety of podcasting services and YouTube that I drop them on. Additionally, I actually spend a little bit of personal time on a couple of networks, specifically Twitter, that's at Prof Hamby, P-R-O-F-H-A-M-B-Y, and on Tumblr, where the blog is called simply Comics Course. And I also, for some of my more narrative cast episodes, also post the transcriptions or notes from my podcasts. I'll see you around, and if you want to contact me, DMs are always open.